All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckstables? What the fuckleberry fins? Uh, that's enough. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. And thank you all again for all the uh, positive feedback on my special on Netflix, Thinky Pain. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. I'm proud of it. I get more proud of it as the days go on. Wasn't so sure about it at first, but now I'm proud of it. Thanks for your support and help in uh, reassuring me that I did a good thing. God forbid that come from inside of me. God forbid I can just tell myself that's a good thing. You should be happy with yourself. No, let's let's take a vote. Was that a good thing, Mark? Well, the nine people inside of me say it was okay, but the 20 to 30 to 40 to 100 to 200 people outside of you say it's great. Well, maybe I'll take their word for it. Why should I trust myself? I am proud of it, though. It looks pretty good. I hope you dig it. The other thing I wanted to tell you, because I know some people are not necessarily new to the show, but I do tend to get more requests for guests that have been on the show than I'd like. And sometimes I don't think it's always clear that if you go to WTFpod.com, you know, you can just get get the app. There's a free app for WTF. Now, as you know, uh, the most recent 50 episodes are free. But then if you want the other 390, whatever it is, you can upgrade for a reasonable price, like seven, eight bucks for a year, and you can stream all of them, the uh, 400 and some odd episodes, uh, and they're all there. And you can go to WTFpod.com slash guide and see who's been on the show. A lot of people have been on the show. You know who hasn't been on the show? Elijah Wood. You know who's on the show today? Elijah Wood. Yeah, that's what's going to happen today. I'm going to talk to that kid, and he's a smart kid. Why am I calling him a kid? I don't know. He's younger than me. He is a kid. We talked about the ice storm for a while because I was a little obsessed with that movie because I thought it represented my childhood. I, I always knew my parents were up to something I could tell from the pictures. You know, when you grew up in the 70s and you see pictures of your parents, you're like, oh, they were they were swingers. There was something going on. Look at that Nehru jacket. Are you kidding me with that medallion? What were they up to, my parents? Are those hip hugger pants, ma? Come on. You guys were up to something. And that movie, it just, I, I just, I saw it as a, a historical document of my childhood. I don't know if it's true, but I love that movie. We also talk, uh, we did some Hobbit talk. We did some pie talk. It's a good interview, man. And uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm pretty good. I have a little problem with uh, having an ongoing struggle with ice cream. I'm having an ongoing struggle with uh, what to do with myself, say, between the hours of about five in the afternoon and nine at night. Doing a lot of comedy, a lot of fucking comedy back in the clubs. Okay, so I'm alone. We've established that. It's getting a little easier. Things are very clean. I've established that. Now, the problem is filling a lot of things. What do we fill with? Well, look, I, I, I'm i just going to explore this for a minute, but uh, ice cream is fucking ridiculous. All right, it's just fucking ridiculous. Okay, I'm a grown-ass man. I'm 50 years old. There's a myth about ice cream. The myth is that ice cream is fun. Is it fun? Is ice cream fun? Or is it... I, I think that ice cream falls under two camps. There's the uh, grown-up shame camp, and then it's for kids. There's shame and for children. 
That's what ice cream is for, for shame and for children. Why? Some people are like, dude, it's just ice cream. Shut the fuck up. I mean, relax. Don't eat it if you don't like it. Of course I like it. Of course I do. I have an addictive personality. There's part of me right now that thinks I should be eating ice cream now. I should be eating ice cream all the time. I should be snorting Coke. I should be smoking pot. I should be having a cocktail. There's no reason I shouldn't be masturbating right now. There's a part of my brain that wants to do all those things right now. I don't have a name for that guy, but he's nothing but trouble, that guy. So I'll get through a whole day, man. I'll get through a whole day. I'll go out and do a couple sets of comedy. I'll come home about 1030 and I've made it. I've made it through the tunnel. Maybe I've eaten well. Maybe I haven't, but I'm, I'm done. I'm at home. It's 1030 at night. There's nowhere to walk around here. I can't walk to a store. I'm at home. Why not go to bed? I'll tell you why not. Cause I'll sit on my couch, maybe turn on the TV and then a little voice in my head will go, dude, go get some fucking ice cream. And I'll say, hey, man, we're home. There's no reason we can't go to sleep. And that thing will say, shut the fuck up, pussy. You know what? You you want some ice cream? Just go get a pint. Just go get a pint of ice cream, man. It'll feel good going in. It'll be so happy. It'll be happy time. And I'll be like, no, I don't think we should. And then it'll go, Vons is open for another half hour. Just go. And And then I'll go, all right, fuck it. I'm going. I'm going. So then there I go. I'm going to get a pint. But as you know, a pint, that's not, that's not two servings. That's not three servings. A pint is something you plow through. Yeah, however you do it, you're going to do it. They're, they're, they're not made for anything other than one sitting. And they know that. Ben and Jerry knows that. Those evil fucks, they understand. So I'm going to get a pint. That's all I'm doing. And that thrill, once you make that decision, once you say to yourself, I'm going, man, I'm going to go get a pint of ice cream. I drive down to Vaughn's with a singularity of purpose that is profound. It feels invigorating to know exactly what you want right when you want it and be able to get it. So I just drive down to Vaughn's. I storm in excited, but a little angry because that's that's my basic state. And then I stand before that freezer and look at all those options. And there's just joy in your heart. There's joy in your heart when you're standing in front of an ice cream freezer at a supermarket. Look at all the options. Oh, man, which Ben and Jerry's version of there's too much shit in this ice cream and funny writing am I going to eat? So then I grab one. This one looks good. It's got too much shit in this ice cream. Hey, happy letters. All right. So I grab that. I'm like, good. I'll grab this pint. That's all I want is a pint. And then there's that moment where you're like, I'm going to have to cut it. Gonna need some vanilla for cut. Gonna need, I, I'm going to need to cut it. I can't take the purity of this complicated flavor. So now I'm walking out with two pints. I got the pint of the complicated flavor and I got the vanilla. So now I'm going on with two pints where a, you know, a pretty large part of my being did not want to eat any fucking ice cream. So then I go home and I set the two pints on the counter and like a grown up, I get a bowl, I get a spoon, I scoop out some of the complicated flavor, hit it with a couple tablespoons of the cut, you know, to ease, take the edge off. And I sit on my couch and I eat a bowl of ice cream like a grown up. I enjoy it. Then I go back into my kitchen. I put the bowl in the sink and I put the spoon in the sink. I put the ice creams away and I go back and sit on the couch. And I'm like, well, that was nice. That was very pleasant. You just enjoyed a bowl of ice cream. And then a few minutes later, it's like, oh, fuck. Are you kidding me? God damn it. I'm going back in. I go back into the kitchen. No bowl this time, just a spoon. And then I open up that freezer and I pull out the pint of the complicated flavor. I shovel maybe three or four spoonfuls into my mouth. I'm not angry yet. We're not fighting. Me and the ice cream are not fighting. I take a hit of vanilla, you know, to chase it with. 
because, you know, I want to take the edge off. And then I go sit back down on the couch. And then I wait about five minutes and I'm like, maybe I'll go to bed. And then the other part of me is like, no, you're not going to go to bed, asshole. You're going to sleep knowing that that ice cream is in the freezer. You're just going to sleep knowing it's there, knowing you could be shoving that into your face. Then I go back and now I'm a little angry because there's a battle going on. I go back in there. I go back into the freezer. I got my spoon and I, I you know, literally will probably say something like, fuck you. Fuck you. Seriously. And I'll get the ice cream. And I'll just start shoveling into my mouth. With, with with a type of anger. I don't even know what I'm angry at. Clearly, I'm angry at me, but I'm angry at the ice cream. But I brought it into the house. I allowed it in. And then I'm like, I leave I leave like two spoonfuls of it. Two spoonfuls of it at the bottom of the, of the pint. And, and to me, that's a victory. I'm like, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. Then I get undressed. Then I go into my room. I go to bed. Got my boxers on. I'm laying in bed. Maybe, you know, reflecting on the day. You know, trying to, you know, kind of turn down, you know, shut down, maybe get some sleep. And then it's, there's that voice just like, you're not going to leave those two spoonfuls in the freezer. What are you, ridiculous? What are you going to do with two spoonfuls of ice cream? Go finish it. Go finish it. So I get up and I go to the freezer in my boxers and I get that spoon out of the sink and I shovel those last two spoonfuls into my mouth, chase it down with a hit of the vanilla cut, and I throw that pint away, the empty pint carton. Did I win? No, I didn't win. I lost. I lost the ice cream battle. And then I go back into my bed, and I lay there, and I'm like, well, how do you feel about yourself? How do you really wind down after that? Well... You masturbate. That's what you do. After you eat ice cream, before the shame kicks in about plowing through a whole pint plus a half a pint of cut, so that's a pint and a half of ice cream, why process that? There's no way to process that. You're just going to go to sleep feeling shitty, so why not masturbate so at least you can chase that strange lactosucrose buzz, that strange you know, milk and sugar weighty high with the, with the momentary euphoria of autoerotic orgasm. Why not do that? Amplify the shame and then fall asleep because you have no choice. Like there's no thinking about sleep. You'll just kind of... The only thing I can say that, that to put a positive spin on this is that you know, maybe I'm being too hard on myself about ice cream, but I would like to just put out into the world that lately, um, no porn for me, not looking at porn, um, I'm just, I'm going old school. I'm, I'm going analog. No digital resources for masturbation. I'm going right from me. It's kind of like the vinyl thing. Just looking for authenticity. Looking for integrity. Analog orgasms. That's where that's at. This was a little filthy for an opening, but uh, I think it's an okay way to set up Elijah Wood. He's a sweet guy. I didn't say kid that time, and we had a great conversation. Let's go to that now. Elijah Wood. Hello, Mark, yeah. Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't usually do that. You know, there's no reasons for intros because I'll set it up before the show. All right, so we're talking, we're talking vinyl now. Yes. 
And you, you're a collector, but you also, don't you put out records? Yeah, kind of. I have a, a small label that I started a number of years ago, um, just purely out of interest to be a part of releasing music that I believe in. Right. Um, but I had no partnerships. I, I didn't have any infrastructure, so I ended right. up just doing it as an imprint right. on another label, as right. just a means to an end to kind of get the thing going. To elevate, and when you say music you believe in, that's bands that yeah. you like, yeah. that you don't think has gotten their fair shake in the that, world? That's the I, That was the idea. <laughs> yeah. That was the idea. So I, I was involved in putting out the Apples and Stereos' last two records, which mm -hmm. was great because I was a fan of their work. Um, and I work with this this band called Eloise and the Savoir Faire. Um, but I'm actually, it's it's sort of the label's kind of in flux, and I'm I'm thinking about moving into more in the world of reissues. Yeah, and doing like reissue comps of you know music from the '60s and '70s, the stuff that is not widely heard, and right. that's the kind of stuff that I tend to buy. Like, I buy a lot of um, of old vinyl, but the stuff that that I'm buying that's new tends to be reissue compilations. Do you play music? Um, not really. I mean, I, I, I took lessons, uh, piano lessons when I was a kid and I, I've had a guitar for years and I, I just got a drum set, which I'm keen to, to take lessons on, but I've never, I feel very musical without actually knowing how to play anything. If, yeah. it, if that makes any sense. But you're going to, you're going to embark on the drums at age. I do really. Do you? <laughs> 32. <laughs> a little late. But, you're, but little I've late. been very percussive my whole life. So it feels very. The, the what you mean? Just sitting around and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the progression of, of that, which I feel is in my body to, yeah. towards putting it towards uh, uh, the functionality of a drum set. So now it's just a dream though. You <laughs> got the right. drum it's a, set. It's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> But I do play it. Function, I mean, I, 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 you do. I play it, yeah. Which, and I'm getting and I'm getting better at it the more I play. But I should take real S lessons. Self taught? You mean just yeah? You're just listening and yeah. kind of grooving. You put on a record. And yeah, you go. that's actually a great way to learn how to play. It, it's interesting because that's the way I play guitar too. But what you find is when you step into playing with other people, <laughs> that. <they're laughs> There's a bit more responsibility <laughs> right. to the gig, yeah. you know. It's and you, like, you, you had sort of an inflated uh, idea of how well you could play, well, you and then just, you start playing with other people. Right, you, you, you kind of step in, and you're just yeah. sort of like, "I'm just doing what I do." And they're like, "And where, where the song changes there?" <laughs> oh, you know, right, right. Yeah. You can't play lead through the whole song. You know, you've got to you know hold up your end. Oh, I thought you guys. Oh, fuck, you're right. Yeah, I uh, and it was interesting. I played with a guy who was a, who drums primarily. Like y your tempo is dictated you know buy the record so you're not going to lose totally. there's no losing totally but whether it's guitar or anything else when there's no record and you're the guy yeah you're like oh boy yeah you know, it's a it's... and you're not playing to a click right you yeah. can't i guess you can play to a click can you do that live can you stick a click in your head I you could yeah yeah you could in, in headphones you seem, to, you seem to know a lot about the recording thing. So when you did Apples and Stereo, were you like in the booth and shit? And Not for their record so much. I, I was involved a little bit in like the final days of production, but I didn't really have any any thoughts to weigh in. The Eloise record, I was around for the whole time. Yeah? Yeah. It was fun. I mean, yeah. it, you know, being a fan of music to be around that process was exciting. Well, you seem like uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to you know, even wrap my brain around the fact that you're 32 <laughs> I mean, I'm 49, but like you, you seem to be someone I've known on on in movies since I was a kid. It feels like, but right. it's not true. Yeah, I mean, it's only <laughs> it's only 24 years. Yeah, 24 years. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I started when I was eight, and you're not fucked up. Right. Like, you might be. I mean, you seem to have your shape. 
<laughs> you seem to be a very tightly wrapped fucked up. I don't if you think, are. I don't think I'm fucked up. You're not about to explode. No, and it's not all going to come raining down. I don't think so. How the fuck did you get so stable being in such a, an indulgent and uh, egocentric business? I know, right? Well, uh, it's my mother. Yeah. I, I credit my mother with all of that because you know I was eight years old when I started, and she was so concerned with raising me as a good human being first. And I think from she one was, to eight, <clears throat> yeah. But also in the process of being an actor, I think she knew the 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 sort of dangers of the industry. And you know, as a child, what the, the influence that you could get is that you you are being told that you are better than other people, and you know you get special treatment uh, for being an actor. And she hated all of that, and she was afraid that if I were to accept that kind of treatment, it would give me sort of an inflated you know version of who I am and. And therefore set a very dangerous path. So she kind of beat humili- humili- humility, yeah. humility, humility, yeah, humility, humility into it's me. A, it's a from tough a very. One, it is a tough one. You just you you actually got humility from trying to pronounce. I did. Humility. Yeah. I'm, I'm extremely. You, I feel very humiliated. humble. No. Um, but that was you know. She she never let me ex- accept special treatment and well when did you like okay let, let's go back because yeah, she I don't... she provided a very grounded context for me as a child well it's sort of hard be I would imagine because in most cases I, I mean the, the ones we hear about where child child actors have these parents who are sort of like you know on top of it like mm. you know literally you know pimping out their kid yeah that's and, the other side of and it. they become the monster yeah and so they're just sort of running this kid and giving the kid whatever he wants and let him get indulged in whatever anyone puts up into his head mm-hmm. and they just you know ride it out for the cash mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem to be the case not at all i and mean where did you grow up though for the eight years that you were wherever iowa you were? cedar rapids cedar rapids iowa yeah what's there uh there's a quaker oats factory oh that's good um did you smell it in the air oh yeah it's a it's it, it's called the city of five cents i think really as yeah. in s-s-e-n-s-e or s-c-e-n-t-s uh s-c-e-n-t-s s-c-e-n yeah oh s-c-e-n-t-s yeah s-c-e-n-t-s yeah oh okay got it what are the other four i'm not sure you're not sure i'm not sure but i think the quaker oat factory tends to dominate and, and what what kind of uh, world was it that you, you have siblings and stuff? Siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And did they end up in uh, the show business field? My brother did for a while. Um, he did commercials and, and parts on television and until he went to college. And he quit and he went to college briefly and then ended up getting into the video game world. Now he produces video games. So it's, it's entertainment. Yeah. And their sister? My sister kind of... Had a, a a dalliance with it uh, very briefly and realized it wasn't for her. Really? So everybody kind of just chose their own path. Did she is... did she fit on screen though? Like, is it genetic? I mean, I think she's adorable. Right, right. But like, you is know, there, like I, I've always wondered that because you know, you look at the Baldwin clan, you look at the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, you know, some for better or for worse. But sure. like, they all seem to hold a screen. I mean, holding a screen is important. I just wondered if you ever thought it was genetic at all. I suppose, yeah, I think my sister can yeah, hold yeah, a yeah. screen. I mean, I think she's got a, a dynamic presence. Yeah. You know? And, okay, so you're 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 eight years old, but, mm-hmm. like, why in Cedar Rapids? I mean, how did it unfold that you end up this child star? To I, get I, to uh, Los Angeles? Well, that and, like, sort of what was, what was your, what's your old man do? What was the, in the house? How did that all, what did they do, the family My do? My dad worked at a box factory, um, 
after that, my mother and my father started um, a cafe, like a deli, yeah. called Alfalfa's. And then they started another one after that called The Super. Was it a groovy cafe? Like kind of like a uh, uh, cool place to hang out? No, it was, um, it was quite traditional. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a deli sure. deli sandwiches. My yeah. mom kind of developed the menu. Uh-huh. Um, and this was right in downtown Cedar Rapids? One, the the Alfalfa's was in a mall, and then The Super was downtown. In a mall? Yeah. Yeah. So that's they say, you Middle America, visit, man. Yeah. You go visit your parents at work at the mall. Yeah. Maybe hang out at the restaurant. I did that after school. Mall. I would go to I would go to the restaurant after school and hang out. Did you go to the video game room place in the mall? Did they have one? The arcade? Yeah. Was I don't remember arcade? I don't remember getting into arcades until I was a teenager. Yeah. I think I was too young. But I you know, when I was eight years old, the first Nintendo system came out. Sure. So I, I have very vivid memories of that. You probably covered all of this on Hardwick's show, right? I mean, did you <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it didn't actually, but it is appropriate for Hardwick's show. <laughs> when did it first happen? <laughs> when, when did your nerd freak flag fly right, first? Right. So, but I still don't, how do you get from, from that life to, you know, being, you know, to stardom? I mean, you're, you're in Iowa. I mean, what, what, what yeah. events unfolded? Uh, essentially when I was, when I was five, my mother was watching. This is the story. Okay, as she tells it. Um, as she tells it. Well, do you it, have a version as it's, well? It's. I think it's accurate. <laughs> okay. She was. I was five. She was yeah. watching television. She saw a commercial. Yeah. And she looked at the commercial. And she thought, "Oh, that'd be that would be fun for Elijah to do." You know, I had a lot of energy as a child, and yeah. she figured that would be an interesting outlet for my energy. Right. Um, but there's no outlet for that in L- in Iowa at all. Like, there's no, you know, local TV. Not really. Yeah. Not really. So. She so put she me just, in a she, she put just, me in a modeling school, which I think had some sort of acting component. Uh-huh. Uh, my brother at the time was also was kind of more actively invested in that kind of thing because he was doing plays and musicals at uh-huh. school. Um, he's older. He's older, seven years older. Yeah, seven. Yeah, and you're the youngest or the middle? Middle child. My sister's two and a half years younger than me. Wow, they waited. That's a big big gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So we, I ended up going to this modeling school, and I actually did sort of local modeling, both print and like runway at malls. Really? Yeah. As a seven-year-old. As a six, seven-year-old. That yeah. must have just been adorable. It was. <laughs> Do you have any video of that? I've got photos. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but um, basically, the school that we were involved in uh, took a number of the of the the students out to Los Angeles for this modeling and talent convention that occurs here every year uh-huh. called the IMTA. Right. And so my mom, my brother, and I flew out to Los Angeles for this convention. Right. Um, and I met a, a, the man who ultimately became my manager. And yeah. I was running around the hotel. And this guy stopped me and he said, you know, would you ever think about becoming an actor? And, you know, I was seven at the time. Seven. So I was like, that sounds great. Like, sure. that sounds fun. <laughs> Where do I stand? Right. Yeah. Seven. So, yeah. And the guy approaches you. That that would have been sorted in any other in situation. In any other circumstance, absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. Some guy like, hey, Slightly kid. frightening. Yeah. Yeah, you look like you should be in pictures. <laughs> it's all context, man. Yeah. And so was your mom nearby at least? Or? She was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, she was. So we, ultimately, we we moved back. We went back to Iowa and then came out here for what was in, intended upon like a three to four month trip to start auditioning during pilot season. Sure. Um, for and television. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And commercials and any yeah. number of things. I got an, uh, a commercial agent. My brother did as well. And I just started auditioning. And within the first six weeks of auditioning, I got my first job, which is a Paula Abdul music video for Forever Your Girl. 
that I later realized was directed by David Fincher before he started making films. Wow, funnily we, enough, we've all got those dirty secrets, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> directed was it was it a, a, a dark and slightly? It's actually pr- it's it's pretty artistic. It's really beautiful. A lot of it's in black and white. Have you seen him and said, Dude, I have. And, I have, and yeah. did he remember you and say like, yeah, I remember you. He that, did that kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm sorry that I don't have that uh, in my uh, my mental uh, imagery. The exact uh, music video. You can when, look it up after. Oh, the show. oh really? So yeah. you don't want to describe to me your role in that? Uh, well, it, it was basically kids in adult. It's sort of kids as adults. So I played um, a young executive in a suit. Yeah. Um, sort of pining for my lost love, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I'm as, sitting as, at this as, as this much as desk. you could understand that right. at that time. Right. I kind of I break a pencil in frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was sort of the scenario. They they also had kids dressed up as the girls from the Robert Palmer video. <laughs> Oh, good. That's uh, that's appropriate. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Um, anyway, so after that, I I did a number of commercials and. And then I, I started auditioning for films, and my first film role was a tiny part in Back to the Future 2. Um, Speaking? It was, actually, yeah. in the cafe 80s, playing, trying to work a video game, and then Michael J. Fox comes over and tells us how to play it. Um, it was pretty mind-blowing, considering I'd seen the original film, and to be in that context of that set was... A, a lot for did you a, just, a child of that age. Did you just take to it? You didn't freak out at all? I mean... You, I didn't. It felt... Uh, yeah, it's weird thinking back on it because I'm I'm obviously thinking on it now from an adult perspective. Sure. Um, but my memory of it was that it all kind of made sense to me. And <laughs> how that is, I really don't know how to articulate that. that like and, just the idea of like a action is action, cut is cut, you're acting now, right. there's Michael playing J. Fox. A, playing a character, yeah. understanding that, understanding that that I had dialogue to remember in the context of playing a you know yeah. somehow that all and you're clicked eight. for me yeah and you you had not really had any coaching or, or you, not really i i um you definitely look very specifically you no one looks like you really yeah that's a good thing no i think that you have sort of a unique thing <laughs> You know, you know, but you're not a yeah. type. You're not a type, right? You're Elijah Wood. You know, everyone I, I knows. Suppose, yeah, yeah. I mean, no except one... for the fact that after Lord of the Rings, people uh, confuse me with Daniel Radcliffe a lot. Oh yeah, okay. So that happens a lot. Yeah, but uh, I can see that. But right. uh, I think you had a jump on it. You okay. know, if anything, you know, he was created later. That's right. my, <laughs> in my mind. Yes. You know, if there was any sort of uh, glomming, you know, he's uh, Elijah Wood type. I see. Oh, well, thank you. But so people come up to you and go like, yeah, Harry Potter. Totally. Oh. And and I also They're just get, confusing their fantasy movies. I think they are. That's ultimately the thing. <laughs> people don't fucking know. No, they don't. They don't fucking pay attention. That's the that's the funny thing. I saw a movie he did that was pretty racy, man. I was up in Sundance. What was that? Uh, it was about Allen Ginsberg. He played Allen Ginsberg. That's right. Dude. That was uh, that's some decision to make. After Harry Potter to be sort of graphically and erotically sodomized by another man. Damn. Yeah. Like that. You... <laughs> was that Kill Our Darlings? Is that the yes, film? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a, a pretty great depiction of... Um, the beat generation. In a way, because it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you have anything invested in, in, in worshipping them. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to capture those personalities that they're going to live up to what you think they were. Totally. But uh, what's his name, uh, who I like, played uh, Burroughs. You know, the guy from Alpha Dog and from Yuma. To, you know, he's a very intense... Foster? Ben uh, Foster. Ben Foster. Oh, Ben Foster's so good. Holy shit. 
What's up with that guy? Have you worked with him? I've never worked with him. I know people that know him well. He's an extraordinary actor. He's some. He's just someone that jumps in with such intensity and makes such interesting choices. Sometimes within the context of roles that don't necessarily call for it. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. kind of love that about him, that he, he'll he take something that on paper is sort of basic or average, and you can kind of have a very average look at, at what that portrayal might be, and he does something totally different. Well, he's a very intense guy. <clears throat> he's got a lot of juice. Now, when you say something like you know, Ben Foster makes choices, so now you're eight, how how does that evolve in you? At some point, do you... Do you call in somebody? Do you you take classes? Do you have how how did you learn? I didn't take classes. I took one improv class when I was eight or nine, um, but that was that was the bulk of it. I I think for me it, it was as I as I as I grew into my teenage years. I think I just became more aware of the craft uh, and self aware. Um, a, a huge turning point for me was actually a movie called uh, The Ice Storm. That I that that movie I've watched it several times I and love that it's film. it's a it's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, and you know I don't know you know how Ang Lee works and I you know and that story was relentless and mm. your character was like I think that's when I really noticed that you know like you you've got chops you've got this focus you were able to sort of make that character you know something that wasn't necessarily you, mm-hmm. that you there was definitely choices in that right that's a big role yes that was your that was your first big role. Yeah, it was, and I and I sort of saw it as um, as the first time that I'd I'd, uh, I'd approached acting or been allowed to to approach acting from a, a relatively different or serious perspective. It's mm-hmm. not that I didn't take it seriously before, but working with that caliber of of actor, with the with the cast that we had and with that director and with that material, I just never had that opportunity before. And the character was very unlike me and very different from anything I'd played before. And the approach was so interesting. Like we we were each given a, a packet of information on the nineteen seventies for research. We were given music to listen to that our characters might listen to. Um, really? Yeah, we were all given uh, question and answer forms for our characters to fill out. So. I'd never, I'd never been engaged in that way or engaged the process in that way. Well, I don't know that that. I think that sounds like a fairly unique method, and that was that was Ang Lee's choice. That was all Ang, and then we had a, a week's rehearsal that incorporated everything from Tai Chi, which we did together, and he'd pair certain people up to do Tai Chi. This thing called pushing hands, which is sort of like a. Um, it's kind of a trust-based thing, mm-hmm. movement together. Uh-huh. And then we would also discuss, he would pair different actors off that right. that had relationships within the context of the film. And then we would discuss our relationships as the characters um, and then, you know, work out movements. I, I'd never, I'd never had that kind of in-depth process before and it really opened my eyes to what what acting could be the possibilities and well it it seemed like he was almost you know, in, in order to like because i it was that was my childhood because i was born in 63 so okay. it, what you're that, that was that took place in 73 i think 73 so i would have been 10 so i would have been like your brother's age right or, right yeah you had the brother the, mm-hmm. the younger brother who liked to blow things up wasn't that the kid was it that, that's right yeah adam hanbert yeah uh and so it all looked like to it jarred something in my memory because i was literally a child 
during that time. Where did you grow up? In Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. But but it was really capturing you, you know you know where adults were at mm -hmm. you know just post the sixties mm -hmm. you know adults with you know all of a sudden that have you know that that didn't get fucked up in the sixties and made a little money and now they're building you know their version of what they think is a family yeah and the, and the weird sort of emotional confusion of that time period and yeah. how culture was changing so like I it all felt emotionally familiar to me mm. you know like you know you know basement playrooms and that shit totally so like you didn't come from any of that but it seemed to me that what ang lee was trying to do was like he didn't he wanted to make sure that because he he was painstaking in capturing you know the the architecture and the type of house and, and also yep. the type of suburb that would have that upper middle class uh you know vibe to it yeah with 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 literally you know grown-ups that that were they didn't seem to know really how to be grown-ups yeah the the grown-ups were almost um more more childlike than their children yeah the children seem to be a little bit more onto things than the adults were so this whole preparation it seems to me that you almost got like a crash course in character building yeah i would say so so what do you remember some of the music that they made you listen to yeah it was a uh, dark side of the moon um this is for your character this was for my character yeah because my character was his head was kind of in the clouds. Yeah. Um, clearly off somewhere else. But very um, bright. And be very bright, yeah. Like scientifically bright. Right. Right. Exactly. You could wrap your brain around, you know, big ideas. Yeah. And mathematics. And hence dark side of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did, 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 did it affect a change in you when you were building the character like that? I think it did. Yeah, it totally did. And The whole process did. I, I think I... I understood the character. I thought I understood the character before that, and I I certainly understood it on a deeper level after. And that. when you do tai chi with somebody, was this to provoke? Like, did you find emotions in that? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's interesting to I me. I think it felt more about connectivity uh -huh. than anything else. Um, trust and connectivity mm -hmm. with another person. Mm -hmm. It was very cool. Now, okay, so now you do this. Um, you're in that movie. And yeah, the, the one, the 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 scene that stands out in my mind was the exhilaration of the diving board. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and that, like, for some reason, you had played it so well that you know you almost felt the almost mathematical excitement that you were experiencing by ice forming. Yes, <laughs> and everything dying. I mean, right. the idea that ice is. Because for him, it's about the molecules right. being everywhere. And when it, when there's an ice storm, it, it freezes everything. So right. that everything's kind of perfect for that time. Right. And I think that's what he's so it, it, enamored by. Oh, so this is a moment where there's no chaos. Right. Huh. Everything's Complete perfect. Complete still. Yep. And, the, and that's what you were thinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did you feel the uh, elation of it like I, i'm a little fascinated with 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 that character when you knew you were gonna die in that peculiar way mm. see that's see i never even thought about that now i'm just gonna get excited about a movie you did in 1997 <laughs> that's all that's what the rest of the the, the talk is gonna be <laughs> so it, 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 did you consider the 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 sort of uh narrative mathematics of of something so completely random Killing you that like this is your moment to understand you know where everything is calm, chaos has subsided, math makes sense, yeah. everything makes sense, and then this fucking random thing, yeah, just boom, yep. But when you died, th there was a chemistry to that too, totally. Th that there must have like that moment. I, I, how did you frame that in your head? 
well, it's also it's so ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that he dies doing, you know, connecting to the very thing that, you know, brings him some sort of peace, and suddenly out of that peace comes the the very chaos he was trying to get away from. Exactly. Yeah, that wasn't lost on me for sure. Yeah. But it's also, you know, in playing it, it comes out of nowhere. Um, so right. there, there's, so there's right. no expectations. Right. It's just, and you know, it literally, he's enjoying a peaceful moment and he dies, you know, and sort of slumps over and slides down the road, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. which it's, is sort of beautiful. And his parka. Yeah. Yeah. With the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Right after jumping through the ice and just experiencing this great moment of elation. Elation. Yeah. Pure elation. Yeah. That fucking movie's a masterpiece. Yeah. It I, is. I got to watch it again. Do you ever watch it? <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. But that's a movie that I would rewatch. I mean, I, I I genuinely love it. When you watch yourself, are you like, you know, oh, good job? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know on. about that. I I think I, it's a bit of a process. I when I see something for the first time, yeah, I'm I often find that process to be a little overwhelming, right? Um, mainly because I'm I'm not looking specifically at my performance. I'm looking at the whole thing, yeah, and how it's all coming together. And when you've worked on something, you know, with a group of people over the course of three to six months or whatever it is, you have so much of your own personal emotional ties to the experience. Mm -hmm. And then seeing that uh, play itself out in the context of the film can just be overwhelming. It's a lot of images coming at you. And and you also don't know what choices the directors are going to make until... And you're seeing those choices come to life for the first time. So it's a little overwhelming. But I, I think I spend more time... And more interest looking at the bigger picture than my performance sure, specifically, sure. and and seeing my performance in the context of a movie, I don't, I don't find it uncomfortable right. to watch. Some right. people don't like to watch themselves at all. Right. I don't really like to watch myself on a on a monitor on the day that we're shooting. I don't really like that. I, I'd rather trust the director. Yeah, because it's all raw, and it does, I don't it's need just... I don't need to see like the take we just did. Yeah, I because can... it looks like someone did it with their phone. Like, you know, it's just like to yeah. see, like, there's no sound. There's You have no idea how it's going to be amazing. Right. I'd you, rather just do what I, feel it, feel feel that it is going in the right direction and trust the director. some trust in that, yeah. And do you, do you have you worked with directors that were difficult or that you couldn't trust? I mean, what, what, like, you obviously you worked with Levinson when you, when you were very young. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to remember your part in Internal Affairs. That was with... It was Tiny. Yeah, my you were a kid. biggest director that. Oh, that's a demonic movie. Oh, it's great. It's a great movie. Great movie. That scene where he's just fucking that guy's wife oh, yeah. and just smiles at him when he walks in. I didn't that. actually see that movie until I was an adult. Because <laughs> my mom was like, there's no fucking way you're seeing this. Because my, you know, the little part that I had was like these little familial moments. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Totally outside of the context of the darkness of the movie. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then okay, I'm just going now. I'm just looking at the ones uh, that that I know that oh, you were in, you worked with Macaulay. Yeah, are you guys pals? I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, I, I I've run into him on a on a couple of occasions, but we didn't really keep in contact even even then. There's no uh, Child Star Club where <laughs> where you, you no? not that not that I have a a membership <laughs> no, to. No, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think when I was when I was a teenager and. Um, growing up into you know becoming my own person in the right. context of this industry, I I don't know I, I I never really gravitated towards having friends that were actors. Which some of that was not necessarily a choice; it was also circumstantial because mm-hmm. you connect with who you connect with. Right. But after a while, um, 
I, I, it was nice to have a separation from the the world that I was in. You know, it was it was nice that my friends did other things. That, well, that like, what do your friends do? Well, my friends now, I mean, it's a lot of them are. I mean, they're artists. They're photographers and photographers, painters. Any um, painters? I've got art, we have friends that are that <laughs> are painters. painters. Uh, I've I've got friends who you know work in production. Yeah, you know, I've got a couple of actor friends, but. Mostly different parts of you know I've got people who work in the food industry that are friends of really mine. food yeah like cooks chefs I've, yeah friends with chefs yeah friends with uh, people that manage restaurants and then you that's could, a whole I mean I I love that whole industry I'm a huge foodie how so. far yeah are you yeah how far away from uh, you know getting involved <laughs> I'm actually in the process of talking to some friends about opening a pie restaurant of all things a pie restaurant yeah uh-huh. Not here though. It would be it would be in Austin, Texas. Sure. You want to you want to make it uh, very special pies. I like pie. There's nothing not to like about pie. Yeah, I'm not what a huge. Kinda... I don't have a huge sweet tooth. I don't love cake, but I really like pie. I've got a lot of time for pie, and uh, and I like um, I like savory pies too, like meat pies. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like you ever been? You ever been to the Pie Hole downtown? No, but I like the name, the Pie, pie hole. hole. Come on, is that a relatively new restaurant? I it's think been around it. for like three, four years. Sometimes, like you know, I don't, uh, I don't seek out. I'll have a nice piece of pie occasionally. Yeah, but some there's part of me that thinks like if you're going to eat pie, it should be dirty pie, and you should just go to House of Pies and just fuck it. Sit sure. there with the people that are. You well, know. the Apple Pan. Have you ever yeah. had the Apple Pan pie? Is great. Yeah, and uh, so is it pie is comforting to you, or you just what is it? You just what is it about pie? I don't know, but I talk about pie too. Like, I dig pie, man. I had a moment at a diner in New York in uh, Astoria, Queens, where I would go. Like I uh, personally for you know for diner food, like I, I'm a I like rice pudding for some reason. Love rice pudding. Love it. Yeah, and I, not you know, an easy thing to find. It's not not here that many places, but in the East Coast, it's all a, over it's the place. A traditional. It's a staple. It's mm-hmm. a diner staple. Not the baked rice pudding, but the kind that's the white rice pudding. Is that the, is that that's an Eastern European dish, isn't it? I, you know, maybe it may, that would make sense. But like, I remember eating with my grandmother, and I would seek out rice pudding, and you can only get it, and you should get it at a diner in yeah. New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, you have to get it at a diner in New Jersey. But there was this moment where I also like Greek diners, so Greek desserts. I love Greek diners. Uh, what, what's the big? Uh, the the filo dough baklava, baklava sure on. yeah and then there's another one called gala de Boudica, which the, is like it's like just filo dough with this egg custard in it like yes. living in Astoria I had to eat that stuff but I had this moment where I'm sitting in the diner and I'm looking in the back booth and there were dudes that look like fucking gangsters <laughs> like real deal like good fellows like I I decided in their eyes that they had just cut a guy up. <laughs> All right, that I decided you know, in their eyes. Yes, that I said. There's, you know, they just uh, did what they had to do. They just got rid of a body, and now they're eating pie. And I'm eating pie. That's it's great. the great equalizer. Come it's, on, you know, it transcends good and evil. It it's does. what makes us all one. Yes, pie, pie. Yeah, brings everybody together. Exactly. For better or for worse, can't we just have a moment where we sit and eat pie? It's I mean, a, I, it's I, a great American tradition. It, it absolutely is. And and I've always thought that about like you know India and Pakistan. Like there was part of me. It's like I love Indian food, and the food's not. That that much different i mean how can there be such problems when you have that that bread and i mean non-bread can't we just eat some non-bread and let it go take a rest right there should just be like a a, a national non-bread day sure, for, for, for pakistan, Indian, pakistan. Yeah, exactly yeah, just, just to, to enjoy get along. it come yeah. on and just people just go come on garlic naan are you fucking kidding me yeah. <laughs> so yeah so austin so you spend time in austin i do yeah do you have a house there i do which unfortunately was just made uh public <laughs> 
Oh, really? Yeah, this is one of the the uh, the unfortunate elements of fame. Well, of just being recognizable. That you know, it's nothing to whine about because the trade off is that you get to do the thing that you love to do. Yeah. But with that, there are prices to pay, and privacy is certainly one of them. Um, yeah, I bought this house in December. I've been going to Austin for years. I've got a lot of friends in Austin. It, it's always felt like home. So I finally got a place there, and literally two days ago, it it made the rounds on various internet news blogs uh, that I'd bought the house, uh, pictures of the house, yeah. and the address. Really? <laughs> yeah. And the, what was particularly upsetting was how the, the journalism is so tabloid fueled. So it just it, it's so gross. Sounding. I call it I call it troll culture. Yeah, that it's all you know because there's such a hunger for content yep. and controversy has such juice to it mm. that it's almost entirely predatory. <laughs> yeah, and and you know total disregard for the, po- the you know for the for fact people. that that could potentially be uh, offensive and you know put me in a precarious position. It's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, but what do you have? You uh, so, okay? First of all, when did why did you just start going to Austin? What what drew you to Austin? So I, I first went to Austin in 1997. Uh, I spent a summer there working on a movie called The Faculty that Robert Rodriguez directed. Um, his, his whole operation is there. Yeah. And then years after that, I went to Austin uh, a couple years in a row for their South by Southwest yeah. Music and Film Festival, uh-huh. which I'm sure you've been to. Yes. I go, yeah, I go pretty frequently. Now they have a comedy festival out there, that's, which is good. That's right. And I, you know, and I pride fun, myself. Fun, fun, fun fest has a, has a comedy section to it, right? Uh, well, they used to have comedy at the actual, they, it's gone through a lot of amount of, you know, there is a Sundance comedy element, not Sundance, um, South by Southwest comedy element, yeah. But now there's literally just a its own festival, the, uh, the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Oh, cool! It's its own thing. And That's it's, awesome. It's, they just did their second year, and it was great. And I love going there because I actually have found this. I I went out of my way to find a barbecue place that was far enough away that it wasn't on the the radar really of like because everyone goes to. Uh, uh, what is it, Blacks or or to Lockhart? Yeah, the Lockhart. To right. go to Lockhart. Sure. I go the other way. I go to... Uh, so where'd you go? The um, Opie's. Opie's. Never heard of Opie's. See that? Whoa. See that? Nice. And how's Opie's? It's fucking great, man. And the thing that's great about it is like, I went to... I've been to uh, the Salt Lake. Nah. Yep. You know, it's okay. Don't love Salt Lake. I mean, I think a lot of those places are great. Salt Lake. They're all good. Yep. Once you get to a certain level. And I went to Black's and Lockhart and I know I, I should Did you go to Smitty's? No, I didn't go to Smitty's and I didn't go to the other German sounding one. Kreitz's. Crisis. Yep. But like, you know, and I knew that was a thing and I know there's wars and I know there's Franklin's in town and some people- Franklin are, is right, the best brisket you'll ever have in your life. Okay, fine. Okay, I, I, you know, I understand, but again, we're dealing at a certain level where it's all pretty fucking good. Yep. Okay. True. So now from what I understand, I did uh, like a show, some sort of, you know, talking head show, local show, mm-hmm. and the, this food critic, an Austin food person- mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you know, seriously, I, I, you know, I like barbecue. I want to go. And she just went, you just, you got to go to Opie's. And I'm like, I have never heard of Opie's. Right. That's the thing. And that's the beauty of it. That is, Elijah, that is beautiful that because is everybody beauty. else is going to all those places. That everybody knows about, that they've written yep. about forever. And dude, Franklin, you cannot go to Franklin without no, waiting in line I, for about an hour and a I, half well, at you the don't minimum. Have to, you don't have to go. You tell me you don't have to get in Of course. What do you mean? Of course. Uh, please. You get dude, I me. will stand in line for anything that... You didn't tell it. me that the dude from Franklin doesn't go come around the side. Nah, he did that for Aziz Ansari. He's not going to do that for Elijah Wood. You can't go around the side. But see, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Okay, I, that, that I find that so offensive. 
Personally, at the level I'm at, because I'm not that uh, pronounced a public figure, like if someone, yeah, the people know where I live, and occasionally people will come by and put a sticker on the wall just to acknowledge it. You know, they came by. That's, it's, that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's creepy, but it's cool. Yeah. But I'm not at a point where, like, I walk down the street and everyone's going to go Frodo. I'm not that guy. Sure. Right? Sure. So if somebody says, you want to come around the side? I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll come around the side. Yeah. But if you do it, then it's sort of like, Elijah Wood ran around the side, and then you're that guy in Austin. You can't be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I think I've always found that I don't like to ask for things. No, right. Uh, I'd rather just kind of go the normal route. And if, if in the context of that normal route, someone says, hey, you know, we can get you this mm-hmm. now if you want it, I wouldn't shut them down. Sure, sure. But I don't seek out the, the right, easy no, way. No, no, yeah, you don't like have a guy calling ahead. No. It's nice to get special treatment because people appreciate your work. It's nice. But you don't want to offend people and you don't want to look like the guy that does that or, or seeks moreover, it accept, or moreover, um, expect it. That's, right, the, that's that's the danger. I think that's true. It's that's the true. people that, that start to expect that treatment. I'm okay with receiving it. It's a nice bonus. But if you start to, if your whole essence is that that's supposed to be the way it is all the time. Yeah, no, no. That's no. dangerous, You man. lose your gratitude. Totally. You lose, yeah, people send you me shit. You don't appreciate things anymore. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, when I get something because people listen to the show, even if there's an agenda behind it, even if someone says, you know, hey, could you wear this hat in the thing? You know, like... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't really like this hat. Just wear it in the thing. One picture. Wait, what just, you, yeah, yeah. Right. I get uh, that, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not going to wear the hat if I don't like it, but I'm, like, thrilled that I have the hat. Right. And, you know, thank you for the hat. I like it when it's genuine. I like when people offer you stuff because, like, you know, you you put a lot of work in it's made an important Im- yep. impact on my life i want you to have this because you were in the picture <laughs> there's, yeah. always a, there's always a caveat there but uh, always so now that your address is prominent <laughs> and documented yeah. what is your experience with uh with people that that seek you out in in a in an obsessive way I, um i haven't had too many experiences with it um i used to live in santa monica and and there there were people that found out that I lived there and, and arrived at the doorstep, sort of knocked on the door and said hello. And How do you handle um, that? With, uh, it's a tough one, you know, as a as someone who's a, a, a human being and wants to treat people with respect. Yeah. Um, it's a delicate balance in, in scenarios like that because you want your privacy to be um, respected. Yeah. At the same time, I, I don't want to treat someone poorly. It's it, you know, they've made th- this sort of move. It's it's not um, a, a, it's an uncomfortable one for me. But at the same time, they're human beings, and right. and uh, you, you you want to treat them well as you turn them away. <laughs> right. You want That's to try a, to have a, boundaries, but be polite. Yeah, yeah. Which is but, a hard thing sometimes for for people. You know, because it takes a certain kind of person to do that. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 you know, to a certain degree, <laughs> the screws might not be in t- incredibly tight. It's a at d- that diplomatic stage. phrasing. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person yeah. to find themselves on your front door yeah. with you know, because you don't know what are they expecting exactly, and, and usually in those moments, they're not sure either. I don't think they are. It, I don't that, think they've thought it through. Right when when you've answered the door, they're all. <laughs> you, I mean, what's supposed to happen there? Yeah, I know. And do you say like hi? Uh, okay, basically. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm with, um, I'm with my family now. Or, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I appreciate calling the police. Right. Call, it's not never. Coming. Yeah, I've never done that. No, I've never you. done that. And I, I really have had a very minimal. Um, I've had minimal experience with that in my life. You know, I, I I'm also not at the level of fame as someone like you know Brad Pitt or any of those folks who probably have to deal with that on a much deeper level. But but. 
what is that what is the the difference there because it would seem to me that you know certainly in work and in profile you you are sort of at the level of fame but you i, I think it's because he, he, i don't know that you would consider yourself a movie star i wouldn't and i think brad pitt you know would he's probably a movie star right do you make that differentiation in your head have you ever thought about that that's interesting i think that's fair to say uh, That's you know, you're you're an actor who has, who's done a lot of things, but it just seems that certain people either they're put there by the culture. Yep. That there's this sort of like this point where it's like, well, that guy's a movie star, and I and I think that probably you know offers you a little more privacy. Yes, I I I think it's also in how one lives their life. I I you know I live my life in a very normal, average day to day way. Yeah. Uh, I go where I want to go. Um, I, I don't walk out of my door anticipating um, being recognized or, or having my privacy infringed upon. I just do what I'm going to do like everyone else. And I, I think part of that, uh, because I carry myself with that atmosphere of yeah. not uh, wor- being worried about people coming up to me right, or sort right. of anxious about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People tend to be pretty cool. I think it's it's yeah, a if you're cool, some of cool. it's an ex, it's a perspective. Sure, you know I certainly feel that in Austin because I think genuinely people in Austin don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah, and they tend to be pretty protective of their local folks yeah. that that sort of have come from Austin and um, you know they, it's got a real Southern mentality. So I've always I've been going to Austin for years and I've always been treated like a local and yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I think I did an impression of Austin. I can't remember what the angle was, but I tried to do an impression on stage of the city of Austin. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and uh, uh, it was something along the lines of like, you know, fuck you, I'm back. You know, like the, like the idea that like, you know, we went somewhere else, we tried to do something, but now we're back and we're comfortable. Yeah. Like there just seems to be, the there there's an organic creative community. Yes. But there's also the feeling that, you know, like of people that were inherently talented mm. and, and had a hard go of it, and then came back and like, you know, this is where I am. This is where I live. This is what I do. I think that's true. I think people <laughs> do leave Austin yeah. for New York. Right, exactly. LA. I, mean, I got beat up. Now I'm and here. Come and, back. Yeah, and do it. But do. The, the difference between other small towns in Austin in that same scenario is that they can actually continue to do something creative in Austin. No, I think that's true. Because it fosters it No, no, I think that's absolutely well. true. I call it the hipster Alamo. Yeah, that they're just sort of like protecting themselves and defining themselves against the rest of Texas. It's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's definitely an oasis. It's not reflective oh, yeah. of the rest of Texas. No, no, I love it. I love it. Did did you buy a fixer upper or did you buy like a full on? It thing? had been it had been fixed up oh, by cool. by the couple that had had previously owned it. So no, it's it was done. And then what, but I love a fixer upper too. Have I, you done that? I have. I yeah. have with my family. I've never done that on my own. Right. Um, but and they, I, they I all love live that here. Idea. Yeah, my mom is here. My brother and my sister are both here. And the, their dad? Dad is back in Iowa. They're separated. Yeah. They're not together. Not together. <laughs> yeah. When did that happen? That happened when I was 16. Mm, that's Well, that's, a, that's kind of a bad time for that. I actually think in some ways it would have been harder for me to take if I were younger. Right. When I was, it was around 15 or 16 that my mom actually came to us and sort of said that that was the decision she was making. And at that, at that time, we all understood. It yeah. wasn't, um, it, was, it didn't seem like a shock. Uh, it didn't leave any emotional scarring. No. Uh, it was something that I was able to emotionally and intellectually understand at that age. Yeah. You know? Do you have a relationship with both of them? I have a very strong relationship with my mom, but not so much with my dad. Oh, really? Mm-mm. I mean, whose choice is that? Uh, I think it's 
I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it's it's entirely it rests on me and my brother and my sister because they don't have a relationship with him either. Hmm. But I think it's just one of those things. Yeah, I know. Dads are tough. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> family's tough. I guess so. It is. Yeah. You know, it's a hand that gets dealt to you. Unlike your, unlike friendships, which are relationships that you choose, you don't choose your your family relationships. Yeah. They can either. God damn it. They can either. <laughs> go well or not <laughs> right you know right yeah i you know yeah i that, that's absolutely true so with the lord of the, i didn't realize that the lord of the rings all those movies were shot before eternal sunshine or yes not? yeah yeah we shot eternal sunshine in 2003 lord of the rings we shot from the end of 1999 uh principal to- photography the end of 1999 through 2000 um, so they oh so they shot them all at once all at once and then we went back each year so in 2001 we went back to New Zealand and shot pickups and additional footage did you buy a house in New Zealand I didn't hmm. I didn't you it's didn't... still something I would love to do I mean it I never been there spend, oh it's beautiful I hear it's like like the most beautiful place in the world it's probably the most beautiful place I've ever been to yeah yeah it's it has everything from you know incredible beaches to m- mountains and fjords and it's, yeah. it's extraordinary. Now, when you get uh, that opportunity, how, because that's like, it's an amazing work commitment. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing uh, project. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, what was the process of, of, of being offered that and, you know, your relationship with Peter Jackson and that kind of stuff? How, how does that unfold? Well, I was, um, I was 18 at the time and um, I had heard actually about a year, uh, almost two years prior to when they started casting, I'd heard that Peter was involved. Uh-huh. So in 1997, when I was in Austin, um, Harry Knowles, who has the Ain't It Cool News movie news website, um, he's a local Austinite, he was on set and he said, hey, I hear that Peter Jackson's directing Lord of the Rings. You should play Frodo. It just was so abstract. Yeah. Um, but it was exciting. and I was a fan of Peter's work prior to that anyway. Um, in 1999, they started casting, um, maybe end of 98. And my agent called and said that they're casting Lord of the Rings and you should put yourself up for Frodo. And, and he, Peter was traveling, but was primarily casting out of, of New Zealand and then was kind of traveling to specific places to meet people he'd seen tapes of and mm-hmm. to do kind of one-on-one interviews with them. And um, so I didn't have a chance. I knew I wasn't going to be able to meet him. But I also, the only option that was given to me was to go into like a casting office right. in a, a white, you know, nondescript room and sort of read with a casting director. And I, I just, I was so excited at the prospect of being a part of the film. And I ended up going in and reading the script, you know, under sort of like closed locked door because uh-huh. they weren't letting the script out. Oh, you had to sit there and do it mm-hmm. like that? Like Woody Allen cast, does that. At yeah. the casting office. And you couldn't leave with anything. No. Yeah. You didn't take a little secret camera. It was before <laughs> iPhones too. So I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I. Why is it taking you three hours? No, nothing. Just... <laughs> page by page. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I knew that I, I was passionate about it and I wanted to do something that would display my passion for it and and I knew everybody under the sun was auditioning for it so yeah. I decided to make my own tape and I um I got a book on 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 hobbits and like art artwork that sort of d- defined what they look like I, I remember that idea. book it was like a <clears throat> coffee table book there's a few but yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and I um I went to western costume in the valley and got a costume that I thought was befitting a hobbit and uh I did I shot the the audition scenes with some friends of mine uh-huh. um, in a couple of different locations, and we like cut at a the mall. F- 
It was that one was at my house, which was supposed to be like Bag End, and then right. the others were outside in a forest. Uh, you didn't take them into the modern world at all. It, no, <laughs> no. So we um, we cut it together that yeah. night, and then I gave I I delivered the the tape to the the casting office, and then that was FedEx to Peter, who was in London at the time. And as the story goes, I guess he saw it and loved it, and 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 I, I incredibly sort of saw the character. Um, I would love to see that video now because I don't think it's at all close to what I did in the film. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. It, the accent was probably off, and was and that because different of direction, or or how much of it was left up to you? I mean, what was his vision compared to your vision? You know, where did that meet in the middle? Uh, it was a it was a collaboration. Uh-huh. Um, you know, also the accent changed. Um, what it, what it's, became it, more, st- it was quite a light accent and relatively standard, um, slightly British. I can't remember. How, it's British. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a standard. It's like a, a very basic but English wasn't, accent. Right. In the, in the Hobbit though, in, in general, like I, I don't know the books. I was never, uh, I couldn't lock in, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't <laughs> fantasy has never been my thing. Sure. But, but in, in the books, it is a specific, uh, type of accent though, right? It, it is its, its own world and its own thing. It's right? its own world, but the understanding is that it's, um, you know, almost like a, uh, prehistory for England. Okay. There's right. a lot of English references. Right. So it's sort of very English. Now, do you, did you just sort of mimic that or did you? Yeah. So I did a, I did a couple of sessions with a dialect coach in LA prior to, to doing the audition thing. Um, so I had an idea of what I was supposed to do. And you're good at it. You can lock in. I suppose. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, certain accents are really complicated. English, I, I, I feel comfortable with. What, what, have, what are some of the more challenging ones? That Irish, yeah. Scottish. Those are tricky, huh? I can't. I really? find them really hard. New Zealand, I find difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not Australian. It's sort of its own thing. Yeah, it's much There are lighter. nuances. I, have, I can barely talk properly now. <laughs> <laughs> you have a hard enough time with your own accent. That's exactly right. Right. But, but the idea of locking in to an accent and just letting that be and acting in character. You That's d- actually... The, an accent for a character is, is so great because it's so defining. Right. It does so much of the work for the character. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're playing a character that is in your own voice, um, y- you look to other ways to define the character, um, and having an accent does so much of that work. You know, it's 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 not your voice; it's it's another voice. Right. So, um, what was some of the uh, like? You know, we talked about the ice storm a little bit. I mean, now you're you're, you're looking at what is it? Oh, fucking three, five, seven, eight hours of screen time, and you know, you know the journey. You know what? What was the driving force of the character in your mind? What What, what did you set your sight on to to kind of propel you? Um, establishing an innocence for the character to be destroyed over the course of the three films. You know, the character starts off um, living a, a very comfortable, um, uh, pleasant existence, free from fear and harm and. Uh, in the Shire as a hobbit. Uh, and that was an easy thing to understand. Sure. Uh, and connect to. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the journey, as he accepts this responsibility to take this ring, um, he is degraded by the ring and, and and it starts to tear away at him internally. So it's it's a it's a kind of fall from grace. It's um it's a, a, a character that is is experiences you know a, a sort of soul degradation over yeah. the course of the three films, right. which is a lot to to work with as an actor. Um, and you don't often get the opportunity to take a character 
from from point A to point B over the course of three films. So there's a lot to work with, and that right. was that was wonderful having that kind of time um, to work on a character's arc. And how how uh, um, intimate was the relationship with Peter Jackson in, in you know from scene to scene? In terms of like, is he an actor's director? I mean, because he had a lot to think about. Yeah, he he <laughs> is. Um, it, it, it was like working on uh, the world's largest independent film in right. in a way, because it felt like the the level of connectivity that you experience on a small film um, was exactly what we felt, but just on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a big family, and and Peter very much at the forefront of that mm-hmm. and setting the tone for that. Um, and he he. You know, he's a very visual director. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the film in his head and has a lot of different ways to which he articulates that. Sometimes he would literally, before we would shoot a scene and we'd blo- we were just in the blocking stage of figuring out where characters were going to be, you would see him like working out each of the characters and he would kind of be sort of miming it or, or speaking the dialogue as the character just as he's trying to figure it out. So he would sometimes kind of give you a sense of what the performance right. that he wanted and and what what also he was seeing, which was really helpful. Um, Fran, his wife, is also she did some some second unit directing on the film, and she comes from a very emotional place. She's one of the writers, and she also wrote Heavenly Creatures. Um, yeah, it's a great movie, which is wonderful. Yeah. So she she sometimes her articulation of of emotion. Uh, is is really strong in ways that that Peter, not that he isn't, because he I think what what is very important to both of them, and certainly Peter as a director, is you know the spectacle is important, but it's 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 the reality of what the characters are experiencing mm-hmm. and the heart of the emotion of what the characters are experiencing. So they're they're both very much concerned with that, and she's very good at articulating that. And I think Peter is too, but he's also got a larger palette that he's also thinking about at any given time. Um, it was an extraordinary experience. Were you able to, like, when, you know, you're doing these scenes that are obviously, like you said, it's intimate, it's family, it Mm. almost feels like a, an independent film, you know, I don't know how much was, how much of the spectacle of the movie was shot. Was actually there? Yeah. For Rings, it was. Um, so you got to feel the... Oh, man. Yeah. We, we had a, a green screen unit. Yeah. Um, but that was used sparingly and it was normally only used because of the, the height difference between hobbits and, and men and elves. It was normally sh- used to put hobbits in sequences for which there were, uh, there were like shots that were made with, the, with, with Aragorn and, and Gimli and those characters. And then we'd have to get the hobbits into those shots. So they were kind of composite shots. So we would go into the green screen to shoot that. But we, we had everything was either sets or locations. And we were on location all the time. So what you see in that film is largely there physically. Wow. Um, outside of, you know, a Cave Troll or, or She Loved the Spider. But it was all real. Wow. That's uh, so you you could feel the magnitude of the. Oh man, we were flying at the tops of you know mountains to yeah. to shoot scenes. That's it was crazy. totally extraordinary. Oh my god! Out in the elements, seeing and, parts of New Zealand that some New Zealanders hadn't seen. Right, it really was. That was also a journey within the within the journey. Yeah, uh, was actually kind of going to those places. It was so the 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 sort of spectacle and and you know glorious menace of the environment was like weighing down on you as a person. Yeah, know, as a like, would. Yeah, on all of and us, it, and yeah. it, and like the difficulties of yeah. shooting in some of those environments yeah. were very real. Therefore, it it kind of evoked what the characters were going through. Real fear. 
Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And just like harsh environments sometimes. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah, like challenging. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't step too many steps to the right because you might fall yeah, off the Yeah, sometimes thing. there was no faking it, which, yeah. was, which was great. <laughs> yeah. You have so much, in, you know, inspiration to pull from in those scenarios. Uh-huh. It, was, it was cool. And how 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 are you treated by the fantasy community? <laughs> uh, the fantasy community uh, obviously have a have a deep affinity and love for Lord of the Rings that predated our films. But yeah. you know, p- being a part of those films that have kind of gotten into the the pop culture realm, uh, yeah. they, they're far more than films now. Um, you know, it, it, it's. They they love us <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> on a on a deep level, oh, good, uh, good. and they love the characters. Good, uh, good it's good. a wild environment to be in. I, I'd never experienced that before. I'd worked on films um, that were all original films that, yeah. that didn't have a fan base, and yeah. to work on something that has such intense fandom associated with it is really interesting. And, and you know, it's like being a part of, I, I suppose it must be like being a part of something like Star Wars or Star sure, Trek. Right. It's a, there's a, there's a, a depth to the, it's not just sort of an, an obsession or a passing kind of teenage crush. It's, no, it's I mean, these people dress up inter- as the characters. And they, it, there's an intellectual depth to it. That too. To their understanding of it, to what you guys did to it, and right. a lot of them have to separate the two. Yes, you know intellectually. Yes, and and find the merits in both. Right, and and d- the yeah. differences between the writing and the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And and that's that's a dialogue that yes. happens. And these are these are bright people. They are. So you have to and protective. Right. <laughs> Of their of what their passion. Have you ever been confronted by someone who who disagrees with your interpretation of Frodo? Not with the character, thankfully. Yeah. Um, But certainly, I've spoken to fans who wish that certain characters would have been included. There's a very famous character in the context of the book called Tom Bombadil. Yeah. And uh, fans were very upset that Tom Bombadil was not in the the film. Uh So there's things like that. Right. Right. They never forgive choices that that, it's not on you. Not on me. No, but they'll certainly tell you because they can't tell Peter or whatever. Right, right, right. You You let Peter know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's a bunch. We love the movie, but (laughs) you're never going to make them happy. No, it's but that's also hard. I think adaptations are difficult because you know when you when you read a book, you have your own personal relationship to what you've read, and you you have your own ideas in your own head as to what the world looks like, what the characters look like. So it's all it's so interpretive and so personal that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very hard to make something that pleases everyone cuz your interpretation of it might sure. be different than mine. So the fact that we've made an adaptation that everyone seems to agree for the most part is close to what they imagined is kind of extraordinary. It's that's great. hard to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a couple other things uh, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind is a, another masterpiece. I love that film too. It's like it's like baffling yeah. how how uh, unique it is. Yeah, and it's also it's so emotional, and it's it's interesting. Men's reactions to that film are different than women's. How so? Because it's from the male perspective. We right. don't often see. It didn't really occur to me until after people had seen the movie and kind of really connected with it. Um, but the you know the protagonist of the film is is a guy yeah. who is uh, who has made a mistake in trying to erase this woman from his life. Yeah, and is panicking to hold on to it. And it's about the end of a relationship from a man's perspective. And for that kind of film, we typically only see it as it pertains to romantic comedies. Specifically, we often only see the female perspective. And I you know friends of mine 
who don't really cry in movies were devastated by the film um because that because jim carrey's you know uh relatability as a, a heartbroken every man lost yep. uh uh you know searcher yeah and or just a guy that had, you know, was on the verge of giving up and then meets this woman that changes everything yeah and he can't handle the love and i love the end of the film too because there's this sort of it's it's on a precarious note that it ends on this idea of like we know where it could potentially go we're you know right we've experienced it i've experienced it but let's try anyway regardless of whether we fuck it up again right which i think is sort of beautiful it doesn't end on this great well it's a it's a, it's literally Hollywood note right you know? it's a play on the clean slate thing yeah literally yeah you, you know like you know that that what you it, structurally it still is a romantic comedy it and, is yeah in a lot of ways right so what you get at the end is that the love is bigger than than any of the you know the the character problems yep and the that, mistakes made along right, the way right yeah and, and that's what happens at the end i mean yeah it's precarious but you know there there's something there and you have to identify that as love after all that totally so when you work with uh with gondry and and from a from <laughs> and charlie kaufman i mean right. i i remember i was driving um i was driving on the 405 yeah uh and i got a call from my agent and she said we have a we have a script here from charlie kaufman that michelle gondry is going to direct and i was like <laughs> what <laughs> almost pulled off the road um i was i'm such a huge fan of of gondry's work um and, and at that point he'd only directed one film human nature that mm-hmm. kaufman also wrote but I'd I'd loved all of his music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such a he has such a singular vision and and is so identifiable within his work and I, it's incredible and very strange and dreamlike and beautiful. And Kaufman is you know one of the greatest writers of our of anything. Yeah, yeah. It, constantly in a world in which it's very difficult to find someone who has a has a unique vision or is telling stories that haven't been told before. He he seems to come up with these original ideas all yeah. of the all of the time, or or taking something that we know and then spinning it in such a way that we're not familiar with it. So I hadn't even read the script yet, and I was like, "I'll do whatever." <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I love I I will be craft service on the film, I, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's a real driving force to me as an actor in general. I, I just want to work with people that are doing something interesting, and if I can be a a small part sometimes yeah. within the context of of that vision. Um, just to be a part of it is exciting. So I ended up meeting Gondry in New York and and uh, got got to be a part of it, and it was a joy. He's such an interesting director and so unique. And and that was sort of a different character for you in terms of like you know that guy was a bit morally bankrupt. Totally. And, and, and but he, I, I think he's creepy with good intentions. He, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. creepy with good intentions. He, he he takes an opportunity. He's an opportunist. You know yeah. he sees. Uh, w- within the context of this sort of you know work that they're doing where they're erasing people's memories he becomes privy to certain sure. memories and yeah. realizes well shit i could actually just learn from all this guy's memories and just kind of do it right him and yeah she'll have no idea yeah um it was fun to play and getting a chance to work with kate was e- extraordinary yeah. i i you know fell in love with her uh w- the first time i saw her in heavenly creatures, heavenly creatures and, yeah. and i've loved her work since and so you get to work with her was amazing. And Jim Carrey was fascinating to work with. You know, uh, it was palpable that he was taking a risk and doing something he'd never done before. I would say even more so than, because I remember when 
the Truman, the Truman Show, Show came yeah. out. Yeah. Everyone was saying, well, this is great. This, you know, this comed- comedic actor who we know is doing this one thing is coming out in a dramatic role, which was not entirely true. Right. That role was, was, was comedic. Well, the device was, uh, the movie was comedic. Correct. In a way, yeah. Um, but this felt like a truly dramatic performance in so many ways. And, and I, I, I didn't see the, the, the familiar elements of Jim Carrey that we came to know. And right. He um he worked really hard at that. No, you know, he didn't he go was, over the top. No, he was great, right. and he was kind of always in a sort of slightly depressed state. He would listen to music that would kind of, you know, would upset him. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I think that was hard for him. It's hard to put yourself in in that but you emotional don't, do you, place. But do you do you need to do those? Do you need to do things that will keep you in character? I mean, yeah, every actor is different. I mean, do you feed yeah. yourself like that, or are you able to just sort of like lock in? you know, uh, mentally. I think there are, for certain emotional scenarios, I don't know that I listen to music for that, although I think that would be helpful. Um, I just kind of try and get to a quiet place where I'm, I'm not being distracted by other things. Right. You know, so I'm yeah. not, if, if I'm supposed to have a, a an emotionally deep moment or scene, I'll, I'll just try and be quiet and stay away from people and stay away from distractions more than anything. The w- interesting thing about that movie, outside of like, you know, the you, Dreamlike is good and the Gondry sort of like was able to, like it seemed like a lot of handheld business, mm-hmm. you know, going on, which made it, you know, almost, you know, uh, you know frighteningly intimate. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, the one thing that I struggled with initially was like, you know, would this, you know, if, if this was really a business, you know, mm-hmm. would it look like that? And then if you really think it through, it's like, yeah, it would kind of look like that. Just this weird office that almost seems, you know, kind of like shoddy. Yeah. And, you know, he'd hire kids. Once the machine was created, it's like, will you guys do this? You know, yeah. Yeah, the machine takes care of the work. Right. They're just logging it. Yeah. Yeah. That it would completely play out like that eventually. Yeah. Oh, I love how I I love his aesthetic, too, because so much of it is. It it feels homegrown. Yeah, uh, you know the technology that he uses is it, it feels uh, it feel it feels handmade. Um, right, exactly. And I think that also helps you in the context of of a story like this that is so abstract. It helps you to connect to it because it it doesn't fe- it doesn't feel glossy or it does not laden with special effects. It, it feels kind of relatable. Well, the 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 special know? effects are 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 relatable because they're in that zone between like. You know, almost waking consciousness in reality. But when you're literally seeing things fall away yeah. in in a memory mm. and it's happening, it's playing itself out in, in the world, the effect of it was, was fucking spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Was that one of those movies that you watched after you were in it and said like, holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I had no idea. Absolutely. Like just you know, entire chunks of buildings and things just, you know, you know, falling into themselves yeah to see all that actually come to life there was actually a day on set we um we did a couple of he loves shots that are are made in one shot yeah a oneer um there's a scene in the film that's in his dream it's in it's in one of his jim's memories where he's leaving a house he walks down the hallway of the doctor's office walks into the doctor's office sees himself talking to the doctor and then the camera spins around he sees we see him looking at himself, and then you see me off to the corner picking up some files. Right, right. That was all done in one shot. And that was an amazing moment. It was about halfway through the shooting, and it was one of those incredible things where, unlike some of the the, the you know the, the special effects that were added later of things falling apart, yeah. we could actually see this on you know in right. camera, right. this this thing work. Yeah. And I think we did 15 takes. And and 
the whole the whole crew went out for drinks that night. It was this great sense of celebration right. because we were able to we all worked really hard at doing something that One actually shot. just physically happened right. there. Right. It was really amazing. That's a that's a, a beautiful uh, collaboration story. Yeah. So what is this saying? I saw something on uh, on television. Did you portray a comic in something? Am I supposed to? I did. A... I did in a in a short film called okay. s- called Setup Punch uh-huh. um, that my friend David Schlussel directed and wrote. Um, it played at Tribeca. Uh-huh. Basically, the, sh- the the story of the short was it was a, an experience that he'd had as a stand up. He's uh-huh. done stand up. Uh-huh. Um, he's now primarily a writer director. Um, but he had done this thing that was very Andy Kaufman esque. Uh-huh. I don't want to ruin the 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 short for people who haven't seen it, but he he kind of plays a bit of a ruse on stage. Uh-huh. And he told me this story of his own personal experience as a friend years mm-hmm. ago, and it, it always fascinated me. And then he called me up and said, well, I've written it as a short film. Would you want to play the, the comedian? And I, I kind of jumped at the chance to do it because I love the story, and, and, and I, I, the idea of playing a comedian was exciting, but I'd never done comedy before, certainly never done stand-up. So w- the, the reality of that started to make itself very known to me when I decided we were going to do it because I thought, well, I have to probably should have an experience doing it yeah but i put it off and i put it off and i put it off so every time we talk about it because i was petrified (laughs) petrified (laughs) so scared um i actually don't know that well i'll get to that so i kept putting it off and every conversation we'd have i'd say well yeah we should definitely talk about that yeah um i could just avoid it and then finally we kind of locked in a date to shoot it so there there now was a bit of a uh a time crunch and I really at that point realized that I, I had to have this experience in order to more accurately play someone uh, confidently as a stand-up comedian so uh, he, my friend David set up uh, f- a five-minute thing yes, at, the, but... at the improv uh-huh. unannounced unannounced uh-huh. it was on a Wednesday I think sure. and so that day I went to his house yeah and I think in his mind, he, he, he assumed, I think, that I would just use the material, the jokes that he'd written within sure. the context of the script. And so I get to his house and I'm like, great, um, I don't want to do any of those jokes. Yeah. And my reason for that was, I, I, would, I, I think I was afraid that I would, I would be too nervous to remember his jokes. Right. Whereas if I wrote something that came from me, it's, it's internal so I could fall back on my own experiences or you could I, be I wouldn't you. have to, I could be me yeah. and not have to worry about remembering sure, something. Sure, 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 yeah. So over the course of three hours, yeah. we wrote a five minute set together, uh-huh. largely kind of inspired by certain ideas that I had and then certain ideas that he had and we kind of cobbled this thing uh-huh. together. And um, I went to the improv, scariest thing in the world. Waiting to down. go on. Yeah, so then I was at the table and there were two or three comedians before me. Right. Um, then there was, then there was one Yeah. and I was pulled and st- stood up, n- you know, next right to the, the stage. Side. Like as yeah. soon as this guy's yeah. done, you're up. Yeah. And it felt like I was about to jump out of a plane. <laughs> you know, there's no turning back. There's no way to, cu- to put pause on this. There's no way to stop there's it. There's no cut. It's only commitment. <laughs> yeah. And guy leaves the stage. I get introduced and I stand there and I, I say the first thing in my set and it gets a laugh. Yeah. And from there on out, I was fine. Yeah. And <laughs> thankfully, because sometimes the the, the, the body's impulse is yeah. to is when you're scared yeah. to rush through something. Sure. Uh, because then it'll be over faster. Yeah. And somehow I was able to settle. I don't know how. 
and I just took my time and um, every, every all the things that I wanted to get a laugh got a laugh so I didn't bomb the first yeah. time which was kind of miraculous and uh, and that was it it was an incredible experience and, and I have so much more respect for, for stand-up comedians as a result of having had that experience uh, because you know I've hosted SNL I've yeah. done some stuff on stage um, which which is comparable on on a certain level, but, right? But that's all scripted. Yeah. When it's just you yeah. and your voice, and these people are in that room looking at you to make them laugh, um, that's an intense place to be. <laughs> Don't want to overthink it's, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the that's it, it what is. it is. It is. Yeah. Um, that's hard. Yeah. That's the scariest thing I've ever done. But the great thing scarier about scarier than being air, you know, helicoptered into the top of a mountain totally, in New Zealand. Totally. <laughs> It's scarier than that, yeah. Uh-huh. But it, I, like all great things that you, like all great fears that you face in life, yeah. It made me realize I was capable of something I never would have thought I was capable of, right? And that's an incredible thing. I, 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 I fear is an important thing in life. It's a, it's a great motivator, but it's also that thing where it's either, it either pushes you, or it, it stifles, stifles you. you. Yeah. And I, I always try. Uh, my best to 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 allow it to push me because otherwise you can't grow. You yeah, know? that's a good way. But to... you've been doing stand up for sure years. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But I, I but I can also imagine getting to a place where it's totally comfortable. Well, yeah, or that, at least... well, that, well, that happens, and the challenges become different. You know, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like anything else. I I think with acting, where y- y- you know you want to be challenged and you want to be part of a good project, and you know you want to do something you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once you learn the craft of comedy and you do have a certain comfort in it and you don't think twice about, you know, entering a stage and being on stage and mm-hmm. being alone up there, uh, you know, sometimes you can get tired of yourself just like any other thing. Right. And, you know, you got to, you know, well, what's the next so bit? So it can you know? stagnate too. Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, once you, it, you know, there are some guys that walk into an act and, you know, and you have to constantly generate material and you have to, like, I, I enjoy cornering myself up there and making it so, you know, I have no choice but to, to move through something. So you take your, you try and create a scenario where you're not totally within your comfort zone. Well, I, you never, I never completely am, it, you know, because you get tired of hearing, like, if I have a distance, and I imagine it happens to an actor too, mm-hmm. on take 10, is yeah. that, you know, how do you, how do you make that fresh again? Yeah. You know, how do you, you know, get into the present with something how do you make it uh, different enough or 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 as if it's not happened before nine times yeah those challenges exist you know when you get comfortable on stage i'm sure yeah so yeah yeah i I do it a lot but uh there's part of me that when you do something like when i acted on my television show you know it you don't what was that experience like well you don't know like you know with comedy you know and when you're a compulsive person like me and you're you're sort of you know are you writing the show too I, yeah, I was part of the writing. I and saw. I, I saw the bit, the bit which I think you originated on your on your yeah. podcast. Uh, the bit about the the um, they won't the the coffee the barista that oh, will yeah, refuse. Yeah, 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 to put, yeah. Which drives me fucking insane. It, it's a real thing. It is a it is yeah. a very real thing. And right. these sort of like um, these these high standard uh, coffee places, right. which are spotting up all over the place, and they're great. They can make great coffee. This this idea of refusing the customer yeah. ice yeah. is nuts to On me. On the basis of integrity, oh, it, right? Yeah, it's going to ruin. It's going to bruise the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I make four shots of espresso over ice every morning at my house. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't... <laughs> so I saw that bit 
um, in the in one of the promos, the, the yeah. long promos for, yeah, the, for yeah. the show, and it's it I, it resonated with me. Oh, it was, good, it was awesome. Well, as a, as a you know entering the acting world is that you know when you don't have that immediate sort of relationship mm-hmm. with an audience, mm-hmm. and your relationship is intimate, and it's with the scene and with the actor, you know, as a comic who's geared. You know, like you have to trust something in you that is not, you're not preparing yourself for that on stage. You know, right. on stage you're elevated, you know, you're slightly, you know, this is your world. Yeah. And you have to sort of, you know, amp it up and, and do what you do on stage. But, you know, when you, you to bring it down mm. to just sort of like, all right, we're just people. I don't have to yell. I don't have to deliver the lines like this. Right. You know, like I'm not, nah. yeah. You know, just to get down to sort of like, can you just talk like people? I don't know. If I could, <laughs> you know. right right normal normal intimacy of just everyday life yeah you, it's, you know yeah yeah stage is very different and you're also feeding on an energy and right. there's also an immediacy yeah whereas with with acting and, and camera happen. there's there's you know multiple takes and mm-hmm. all of that as well that you get used to well I, I, it was very challenging and i'm excited about it so that's uh, so great i was so pleased to, to see do, that you're doing do more that. thank you awesome. and uh, it's very exciting to talk to you Thanks, man. And I'm glad you came by. And uh, let me know the progress of the pie restaurant. I will. And I will go to the pie restaurant. Awesome. And uh, and go to Opie's. I will. I'll go to Opie's. Thanks, I've learned man. a lot about Texas barbecue today that I didn't know. Go, go, well, and I learned a lot about uh, a lot of things. <laughs> it's a large list. I don't know if we need to index them. <laughs> I don't think so. All right, man. Good guy, right? I had a great time talking to him. Very bright. These kids seem well-adjusted, don't they? Man, I, I, you know, I wish I was... No, I don't. I'm okay with who I am. Did you hear that, America? I'm okay with who I am. Hey, do you want to watch shows like SNL, Parks and Rec, Community, New Girl, and Late Night with Jimmy Fallon whenever you want? Don't miss a second of your favorite comedies with Hulu Plus. For only $7.99 a month, you can stream as many TV shows and movies as you want on your computer, your smartphone, your tablet, all streaming in HD. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus free for two weeks when you go to HuluPlus.com slash WTF. That's a special offer for my listeners. Make sure you use HuluPlus.com slash WTF so you can get the extended free trial and they know we sent you. Okay? All right. Tired. Aggravated. Malone. I'm doing a lot of comedy. I'm thinking. See what I'm filling my brain with when it has space? Nothing. It's just spinning plates, man. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!